Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Welcome everybody here in the room, everybody watching online as well. We've got a special service for you today, and I'll just leave it at that for now. But we're in the midst of this series called God's Masterpiece, and it's really built off of Ephesians 2.10, which says, For we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Who are you? Okay, you are not a cosmic accident. You were designed by the master creator of the universe. And why were you created? Well, the Bible says you were created to do good works. See, God didn't just plan you. He also planned good works for you to do, a specific positive impact for you to have on his world. And so in this series, we're trying to uncover God's calling for each of our lives. And last week, we started talking about this concept that the Bible calls God's calling. And the scriptures say that God has called every single one of us here in this room. And so the million-dollar question becomes, well, if God has called me, what is he calling me to? And most people think about being called to a job or a task, some kind of significant thing in life. We're actually going to unwrap some of that later on in this series for you personally. But today, what I want to do is I want to look at what scripture has to say about three areas to which we are all called. And the way I've laid this out, it just so happens that they all begin with the same letter, which means there are bonus points for me in heaven, okay? Yeah, God loves it when a pastor's points all begin with the same letter. So what are you called to? You're called to salvation, sanctification, and service. Can you remember those three? Salvation, sanctification, and service. All right, first of all, God calls you to salvation. Before God ever calls you to a job or a ministry, he calls you to himself. Hey, this is good news. In Luke 5, verse 32, Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, he didn't come to call those who think they're righteous and have it all together. No, Jesus came to call people who are willing to admit that they're sinners into a relationship with him. And folks, it doesn't matter what you've done or how dark your life feels, Jesus has called you. Jesus is calling you. And he wants you to come wherever you are as you are. And by the way, if somebody ever says, well, God doesn't call everybody, that's not true, not biblically speaking. In John 12, 32, Jesus himself said, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, okay, talking about his death and resurrection and eventual ascension, Jesus said, after that, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw, what does it say? All people to myself. God calls not some, but all people. And when he calls you into a relationship with him, it's always by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We say it all the time around here. It's by grace alone. What does that word grace mean? It means a free gift. You don't do anything to work for it, anything to earn it. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That means you believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he is the one who gives forgiveness and eternal life. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says this, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So first, God calls you to salvation. 
Second, God calls you to sanctification. Now, this is just a fancy term that means to live differently than the world. Okay, the root term for sanctification in the Greek, it's hagia. It means holy or set apart. It means that God wants you to live according to his ways, his standards, not the world's ways or the world's standards. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. You know, ultimately, the goal of sanctification is to become more and more like Jesus. That's your calling. So first, God calls you into a relationship with himself, salvation. Then he calls you to live differently, sanctification. And then finally, God has called every single one of us here in this room to service. God wants you to use whatever gifts and abilities you have to serve him by serving the people around you. Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. You know, 1 Peter 4.10 actually elaborates on this and says that God is the one who's gifted you to serve. It says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. He wants you to use what he's put inside of you to make a difference in this world. So God calls you to salvation, sanctification, and service. Now, for the rest of our time this morning, I want us all to hear from a member of our church, Steve Pascuzzi, because he has a powerful story of the difference that God can make in a person's life if they say yes to God in each of these three areas. You say, what difference does God's calling make in my life? It can make a radical difference. So this is a testimony to the power of God in one man's life, but I think also it's a reminder to every single one of us that saying yes to whatever God calls you to do can and will radically change your life and the lives of the people around you. So this time I want to invite him up. Steve, come on up here. How about a round of applause for our brother Steve Pascuzzi? First of all, Steve, thanks. Thanks for being willing to, to share your story uh, and just coming before all these people. And I know it's not necessarily an easy thing. Uh, met Steve about, about a year ago, and we'll talk a little bit about that dynamic. But he shared his story with me, and I said, this is something that has to be heard. So why don't we start with this, Steve? Tell me, tell, me, tell us a little bit about your background, like where you grew up, things along those lines. So I think, I think the first off is this is the first time in 20 years that I've actually opened up and actually shared this testimony in front of people other than immediate family and friends outside of our group this morning over at Sun City. Yeah. You know, I grew up in a small steel town in Southern California. Um, for you NASCAR fans, they leveled my, leveled my city to put in a raceway. I grew up in Fontana, California. My dad was a steel worker. <clears throat> My family all worked in the steel mill. My mom worked as well so that they, two of them, could work as, to provide us the best life they could for me and my younger sister. You know, that, that city was tough. You know, any of you that, that understand the, the steel industry or understand the construction industry, there's a lot of rough men that grow up in that environment. And for me, I wasn't that guy. I was a very timid, soft, compassionate young man. I was, started school a year earlier than most, so I was immature, 
and I was small. So for most of my life, I was picked on. And so I really didn't understand what it meant to be sufficient or to have a group of friends that were actually my friends because I was so little. I became the, the whipping post or the kid they bullied. And that, that really drove my life. It drove a lot of, of what I did and what I experienced as a young man. Um, that period is what started me on the path that God put me on and the testimony he gave me was that early, early portion of my life. So, yeah, so you thought, I'm going to go in the steel industry. Or actually, there were two different paths that the people you knew could take. So, share about So, a lot of the gentlemen and a lot of the people in my community, you know, it's one of those things. The city I lived in was, was rough. And a lot of the young men I knew, we had two paths. We were going to either be like our dads and go work in the mill. The other path, we were going to end up in prison. There was, a, there was a point where I had friends that at 12, 13, 14 years old, they were getting sentenced to a men's penitentiary for men's time. One of my best friends, I went to kindergarten with him. At 11 years old, he was sentenced to a men's institution for 35 years. So when we think about this, I wound up being, well, the mill closed. The mill closed. So that shut a door for me. And when I really looked at it, that only left the other door. So I wound up getting into the drug scene because in the drug scene were the tough kids. You know what the tough kids don't do? They don't let the jocks bully the little kid. So those tough guys that adopted me, I wound up running in their scene and I learned their lifestyle. And one of the biggest tragedies of that lifestyle is a lot of them got busted when we were young and I watched them go off to prison. I continued on that path of addiction, of homelessness, incarceration, and prison for another 15 to 20 years after they all decided it was time to get sober. You know, January this year, I'll have 20 years clean. And that's, <clears throat> I the, big, the biggest thing on that is it's nothing I've done. You know, it's nothing I've done. Later on, we'll get to, get to some of this other story. But, but God really did miracles in my life. Just, just open miracles. Yeah, so talk a little bit about God's calling repeatedly, that God, God never gives up. He'll call, and if you say no, he'll call again, and he'll call again. And you share with me, each time it got a little, little more intense. So talk a little bit about that and what that was like for you. So God was with me my whole life. Um, I grew up in a, in a small Lutheran church. As a young boy, I knew the Bible stories. Man, Noah had faith. He's my favorite. <laughs> David was a struggler. Paul was a hard man. And God had love for them all. I knew those things. But if you come from some other faiths, you don't realize that when you make a decision on your own, that God will still give you that grace. I looked at it for a long time, 
And as, as I, my life transitioned, I went through periods of, of homelessness, large periods. Um, I would, I had a cycle. It was, it was consistent and it was driven by my personal pride and embarrassment. I would hang out with the fellas. Things would get really rocky and, and reckless. My life would spin out of control. I would become homeless. And then I'd become saved because the local PD would pick me up and send me back to prison. This was a cycle that went on for years. Um, I remember a couple stories that were very, very pertinent. Tell you how long this cycle went on. I had gotten out of prison for the last time, and we'll, we'll get to that story. But my wife went to my, my parents and said, should we celebrate him being out of prison this long? And they said, no, no, this isn't, this doesn't last. At the similar aspect, my life was so reckless that when I was getting out of prison the last time, my mom told me that, hey, I was at peace and I felt better when you were incarcerated because I didn't have to worry about you dying on the streets. All of this time, God had something for me. During one of during one of my stints as, as a homeless individual, I was living under a canopy. I had taken the shell off my truck, and I slept under the shell to get out of the sun. The truck didn't run. Didn't have no money for gas. Truck was parked. And this old gentleman came to me, and he said, hey, uh, how about I give you an opportunity? I said, what's the opportunity? He goes, you come out to my ranch, and I'll give you a, a dry place to stay and you get some food, but you have to come to the house every day and get Bible study. This gentleman was a Baptist pastor in his late 70s that took pity on a young homeless man that owned one pair of boots. I had a pair of bib overalls and one shirt. That's all I owned. I owned no socks and no drawers, and I was down to 153 pounds. God had a plan that day. I would love to say that at that point, my life changed. And that that old man imparted enough wisdom and scriptural knowledge on me to change me. You know, it wasn't long. It's about six months. He got sick. I got a call. Some friends of mine had just gotten out. And it was time to go make some fast money. As fast as I went to the side of the light, I went back into the deepest darkness that could be there. And it spiraled out of control again. After that... This was uh, just prior to my last prison term. I get picked up, and we go into prison, getting ready to go to prison. I'm out of county jail, big glass windows, and I'm talking to my mom in visitation. You know, I'm prepared because I understand life inside better than I could do life on the outside. And this lady comes up behind my mom, and my mom's crying. And the lady tells her, hey, you know what? He's not always going to be in there. I see something in your son, and your son, one of these days, is going to be out, and he's going to be a pastor on the pulpit sharing God's gospel with others. And I didn't realize at first, because it was years before now that all of this took on. You know, Brian and I have been working on some of this stuff. Um, this, this lifestyle had changed me. Interesting. Yeah, talk a little bit. 
about that lifestyle. Pretty rough. You're, you're tatted up. You've been in gangs in prisons. Talk, talk about particularly how one time you, you almost didn't make it. So, you know, I come in here, you guys see me. On Sundays, usually I wear shorts. My legs are tattooed. My body's tattooed. I come up in here. I, very, very often, I had to ask my sons and my wife, hey, how do you feel about this? Because my lifestyle brings collateral damage. The decisions I've made bring collateral damage consistently to those around my kids. You know, I've got, I got my oldest one. She's 24 in Florida. I got two granddaughters. She lived through it. She lived going to visit me for the majority of her young life in jail and in prison. My sons are teenagers. They're members of this church and part of the youth group. They have never seen that side of their dad, nor have they ever seen the angry side of their dad that put me in those places and got me all this ink. With that lifestyle, things happen. There's challenges. We grow reputations and we grow inability to understand and have a, have a true heart for people. You know, I, Brian and I had this conversation. My last term in prison was a turning point. It was my breaking. I was known to be in a, in a gang. I had friends. We're, we're out on a prison yard. A fight broke out. One of my friends was stabbed 13 times. His lung collapsed. One throat was slit through and through. He died on scene. I was removed from the prison yard. I spent the next 34 days in the hospital chained to a bed. My left side of my face had been collapsed and they had to restructure everything from around my eye socket to my jaw in surgery because God chose to let me survive and I still didn't understand why. I didn't get it. Yeah. <clears throat> That's powerful. God, God continues to, to work and move and he wasn't going to let go, but, but each time it got, got a little bit tougher. Talk a little bit about the, the individual that ministered to you during that time. So, you know, it's a, it's a God thing, right? You lose some friends, and I'm thinking, man, I don't know why, but am I going to get out of here? My eyes are taped shut. And this gentleman, black gentleman named Rochelle, used to come in every day. And now I'm on a prison yard, and I'm not in Texas, so it's a lot different. Everything segregated by race. And this gentleman had the power of God with him and a fearlessness that I've never seen. And he would come into a young white kid's cell and he'd sit on the foot of my bed and he'd read gospel to me. He'd read the scriptures. And I couldn't see. I didn't get no TV and I didn't have no radio. And my eyes were taped shut. And that gentleman would come every day to read to me. And you know what I found though? And he had told me, you got to give up. I was thinking, man, how do I give up? I'm in a hospital bed with my hand shackled to a rail so that they can't, so they think I want to escape. Where am I going? And he said, give up. And so finally, you know, after he and I went over this a bit, I realized God had been with me through all these times. Every time I was incarcerated, people would tease me because they'd call me preacher. Well, you only get two books. For the most part, unless your family has money and they're sending you books and they're sending you things and magazines, most of the old guys had like a dime store or Louis L'Amour novel or something, some cheap paperback or a magazine, and you got the Bible. <clears throat> Me and God, God got real acquainted through that Bible because it's the only thing I had to read. But he used it, and he used Rochelle as a, as a challenge in my life. 
you know, when I was in there and I was thinking about it and we're, we're, we're finishing up, you know, on that, that life, it was hard because when we were there, Rochelle opened my heart and God used him to work on me. So God calls you to himself. You've got this relationship with him now and then sanctification, holiness, transformation. Uh, one of the coolest things you shared with me was, you know, your heart was soft as a child, became hardened. What, talk about a little bit, just about how God softened your heart again after that. So, you know, as I, as I transitioned out and I and got out of prison, I met my wife about eight months later. She crazy. She, she agreed to marry an ex-convict. First date. I'm gonna, this is going to be a little comedy spot. First date. I say, excuse me, I got to tell you something. She says, what's that? I said, I got a six-year-old daughter, and I've been to prison multiple times. I don't know why she didn't run, honestly. It's a but great we, lead-in. I, I don't know. I don't, yeah. we've, we've, <laughs> great way to pick up a girl. <laughs> we've, we've, we've been married now for quite a while, for, for, for coming up on 17 years. You know, and when I really think about it, she's been a blessing because she kept me grounded in my walk with Christ, and we stayed focused on church and the guidance that God had for me and the plan that he's had for our family. Um, as we go through each day, and Brian and I were talking about this, we had a difference in faith. And as a young man, I had a Christ-like faith. I loved the Lord, and I knew the Lord, and I went to this little Lutheran Bible school church, and everything was good. And then as I got older, I had to stand up on my own two feet, and I became mean and angry and aggressive and able to stand in places that most people wouldn't want to be because of the darkness. And I survived there well, you know, and I, I got to this position where I was out of prison and I was living on this fringe. I was going to church, but I didn't understand. And my struggle was, all right, here's the deal. I know God, but I do not know that I'm going to heaven. And a, a friend of mine, we carpooled a day, carpooled every day to work. And he was on the mission band at the church. And so this gentleman would got, share the gospel with me and disciple me for hours going both directions. It was about a three-hour commute each way to work in the morning and back. So this gentleman finally told me, he's like, God gave you something. And it's just like the song says, God's blood washed away your sin. He said, they can't take that from you, man. They can't take away the forgiveness God gave you. You're going to heaven. I used to feel real depressed about it, and I used to tell my wife, you know what, it saddens me. I'm doing all the right things, but I'm not going to make it to heaven. You know, we'd already started in the mission field. I'd been part of a motorcycle mission, missionary group where we went out and shared the gospel in dark places. I left that, that missions group and went and joined a motorcycle club that just solely did outreach for the homeless and the needy and sent the gospel into the, into the motorcycle and biker community. So I left a gang life and was paralleling everything that I knew about a gang life, trying to do what was right for God. And I finally got to the point where this gentleman, his name's T.R. Eastip. I had to reach out to him prior to this. He was a mission, missional singer and now he is a pastor and an author writing on the simple revelation of God and how God can change your life. We don't even realize how many people God are going to put in your life or my life every day. They're going to open huge doors and make great changes. That's awesome. 
Yeah, you, you talked some, and I know we've got limited time, but you talked some about experiences with other churches where you went in and sort of, yeah, yeah, you're saved by faith, but, and then they started adding works to that, and that really kind of turned you off, and you were surprised when you got the message that, no, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That alone part surprised you. Yeah, you know, and that's the, that's the, the best part, right? You're a grace church. Ephesians talks about us getting grace as a gift. Nothing I have to do, it's my faith. You know, and that faith is, has led great change in my life because I knew God had a plan. And now we're, we're moving into a new season. Um, recently, I left a motorcycle club and we're working with a, a pastor out in Harker Heights at um, Harker Heights Bible Church. We're putting together outreach plans for the fall. You know, I'm working with Brian here to, to finish my ordainment. And we'll be planting a church next year up in the Bell County area, you know, where we can do. <laughs> I, think, I think the biggest things is that as my life transitioned from a young man that was soft and tender to a hard man, and now I've transitioned back to a man of meekness and humility, where I understand where I've come from, and I understand a little bit of what God has in store for me, but not enough. Every day is a roller coaster. I get up in the morning, I look around, I pray a lot, more than I ever have. I call pastors because I'm like, oh man, what am I into today? <laughs> But we go through these things, and God, God has the plan. You know, over the next few months, as we get into the fall and the winter and we're pre preparing to plant, you know, I'll be, be partnering with a Pastor Jeff Ball out in, in Harker Heights in a small church. We'll be doing outreach out there, and we're reaching into the community because they really need that support. But more so, it's refining me one more time, getting me prepared to go back into the places that I left so that we can truly share the gospel to those who need it. You know, we've got friends here that are missionaries overseas, and they go and they do and they come back, man, and that's a, that's a heart. I don't have the heart to leave. I just don't. But I have, I have the heart to stay here and walk in the dark to help share the gospel just with one person because somebody did it for me. Yeah. Well, there's no accidents in God's economy, so... God led you here a year ago. We were just preaching where I ordained the three guys from our church, and you came to me saying, that this, this is what I'd like. And so it's been an honor for me to build into Steve just theologically, practically, pastorally, but I want you guys to know we're going to be a part of this church plant. We're going to partner with Steve, and we're going to plant with Steve. And so appreciate your prayers, your support, and you, we get to be a part of this incredible thing that he's going to do. Because let's face it, you're going to reach people. I, I wouldn't have a chance at reaching. They wouldn't give me the time of day. But I think God has different individuals to go into different communities and make an impact. And we're just excited about that. And Steve is actually one of four individuals that God has brought my way, uh, just with regards to ordaining and sending out specifically for church planting. So stay tuned, because Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown, is going to start making an impact throughout the greater Austin area. We're excited about that. So, Steve, thanks, thanks again for sharing. Let me close in a word of prayer. Lord, just thank you so much for what you're doing here in our church, Lord, and the ways in which you work. God, you brought Steve to us a year ago, and he, it's just incredible to me 
that you have communicated to him the, the gospel of grace, and, and we are so like-minded with regards to bringing the truth that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so many people need to hear that message. So many people still think there's got to be something that I can add to to earn God's favor. And there are people who are broken. There are people who have been through uh, incredible stuff. And God, I know that Steve is going to be able to lead them, minister to them, speak to them at their level. And, and for the rest of us here, God, we may not have been through the kind of radical life that Steve has been through, but you are calling each and every one of us, not simply to salvation, not simply to sanctification, to be more like you, but also to service. And, and I pray that we would all find that niche. And it may not be church planting. It may be something entirely different. But God, you have good works for us to do. So I thank you again for Steve just sharing his heart with us, his story for the first time in 20 years. And God, what you've done in his life. And we look forward to what you're going to do in the future. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.